So today, if you grab your Bibles, and let's, uh, let's um, open them to Exodus chapter 3. Last week, we had talked about uh, God's calling uh, in our lives and all that, that's, all that that signify, you know, being a... Why is it so important? We talked about ministry gets hard and you got to know that you're called to the ministry when you're attacked in your own mind and, and when your ministry is challenged by other people, when your vision is challenged by people. Uh, we talked about your calling uh, is going to help you know the calling of God on other people's lives. So when you are called, it's, it's a lot easier to recognize God's calling in somebody else's life as well. Um, so you need to know that you're called. Uh, and then we talked about how you'll know if God has called you. Uh, we talked about having a strong desire from the Lord. We talked about other people recognizing God's call in your life, such as godly leaders and godly people around you in the, converse, in, in the congregation. Uh, we talked about your calling is going to be uh, something that is, um, uh, what is it? Unique. Unique that's right. It's not, not a cookie cutter calling. And your life will also be marked by that continual pursuit of godly character. Today, I want to look at a few examples in the Word. And then we're going to pull some principles out of these examples from the Word of God. And just kind of come up with a list. It's by no means an exhaustive list of, 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 of principles that God uses when He calls a man. But it, it'll get us started in the right direction. And hopefully give you guys an idea of your, for your own lives and your own situation and how God may, may be working in your life. So let's start off in Exodus chapter 3. And uh, I want to look at the life of Moses here with you guys. Um, and one of the interesting things is, is as you go through the Bible, you start to realize there's so many guys that have been called uh, into ministry through so many different ways. And I just want to explore some of those with you. So today in Exodus chapter three, can I get a volunteer just to read up through verse five there? Any volunteers? Now Moses was tending the flock of Jericho in his father, uh, his father-in-law, the priest of Medea. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Rehem, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Okay, do, oh, go ahead. Through five? Yes, yeah, go ahead and read five too. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And this Moses... At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. All right. So one of the first things I want to point out here about this calling um, and the uniqueness of it is we, you see that uh, this calling is a calling uh, on holy ground. And, and, and I point that out because I want to uh, 
I want to relate that to the calling of serving God. I believe that the calling to serve God is holy ground. Uh, it is a very uh, holy calling. Um, you know, there was a time when being a minister in God's church, no matter what denomination or branch it was, uh, was, was seen as something that was very uh, highly esteemed. And it was something that was, uh, you know, it was seen with a, a light that, hey, this is, a, this is sacred. And not just anybody gets in here. Unfortunately, I think we've lost some of that in uh, the United States where we have seminaries that are just pumping out men that may or may not be called, but they have the, pe- the paper. They've got the, the, the paper ordination. And I think that pr- has produced a problem in the ministry in which we have several men that may or may not really be called by God. They may or may not be ordained by God. They don't really know, but they, they have a piece of paper with their name on it that says that such and such a seminary thinks that they're ordained. And uh, what that has done is that has lowered, I, I think, um, not only in, in certain ministers' minds, the estimation of the office of being a, a pastor teacher, but it's also in, in the eyes of the congregation because of the way that they've treated it, it's also uh, lowered their esteem. And so we need to, we need to realize that uh, being called as a pastor teacher is something that is holy ground. And it is something we need to see as sacred. It is something we need to esteem highly. Uh, Charles Spurgeon in his school, uh, with, with his guys there, uh, he, he had a, a large school there in his church uh, that was devoted to training pastors for pastoral ministry. And he stressed the importance of the men seeing uh, pastoral ministry as a sacred calling. And, and, and I think we need to do the same thing. The Bible does it. Uh, God tells him to take off his sandals. He's standing on holy ground. We need to get back to this, this principle of the fear of the Lord in our lives. Uh, secondly, I want to point out, uh, if you look in chapter 4 and, and read verse 2 with me, it says, The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. Moses ran from it. <laughs> pretty funny there. Pretty fun, funny little moment there. Uh, but then the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. And then and God tells Moses in verse five, he says, this is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Um, so, so God kind of uh, takes whatever is in Moses' hand. Moses had questioned and said, well, how are they going to know that, that you have sent me? And God says, what do you have in your hand? And he tells him to throw that on the ground. And, and what I want us to see out of that is that God is going to provide. Uh, where God calls a man, God is going to provide for that man in the ministry everything that he needs in order to be a minister. In this case, it's the staff in Moses' hand. Um, skip down a little bit more to verse 11. We also see God telling Moses he's going to supply the very words that he needs. It says that then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And and let me back up in just a second. Uh, Look at verse 10 first and then verse 11 will make a lot more sense. Verse 10 says, but Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And so Moses is kind of like reluctant here. God is definitely calling him, 
Moses is expressing some reluctance and, and Moses is actually pointing to a, 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 perhaps a speech impediment that he had. He says, I'm slow of speech. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not an eloquent speaker, God. And, and thinking that, you know, he needed to be that in order to be in the ministry. But, but, but God right there in verse 11 says, I'm the one that made man's mouth. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll take care of that problem. In other words, Moses, I'll make sure that you have my message. I'll make sure that you have what you need to fulfill your calling. And that's what I really want you guys to see there is that God, uh, where God guides, he's going to provide. So if God is guiding you into the ministry, he's going to provide for you what you need in order to, um, you know, to, to, to be a, a pastor uh, and, and to see your calling through. Uh, I want to skip now to the life of Joshua in Numbers chapter 27. So if you could skip ahead to Numbers chapter 27. And here with Joshua, we have a totally different circumstance. Moses was tending sheep in the desert where he had been for 40 years uh, after he fled from Egypt, after having lived in Egypt for 40 years. Uh, Joshua is, is no such thing. He's not a shepherd at all. He's simply a man who is an assistant to Moses. And, and, and read there in verses 18 through 23, Numbers 27 Verses 18 through 23. Can I have a volunteer to just read through those, those verses? I'll read it. Thank you. I'll read from the King James Version. Verse 18 it said, And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee, Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thy hands upon him. Verse 19. And say him before Eliza, the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. And thou shalt put some of thy, <clears throat> some of thy honor upon him, now all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. You said through 23? Yes, sir. Okay. And he shall stand before Elijah the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim, of Urim before the Lord. At his word, and at his word shall, shall go out, and at his word shall come in, both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua and set him before Elijah the priest and before all the congregation. Verse 23. Mm -hmm. He said, And he laid his hands upon him and gave him a charge as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. So here we see a calling on Joshua's life that is completely different than Moses. You see, in, in Moses' case, God spoke directly to him, didn't he? He gave him a burning bush. I mean, it was a huge sign right there in front of Moses, but it was totally different with Joshua. And Joshua, we see he's, an, he's kind of an inside man. Uh, he's kind of like the guy that got picked from inside the group, you know. They didn't go outside to find the next leader. They found him right inside the, 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 the people of Israel. And, and Joshua, you know, he's an interesting guy. He shows up all the way back in the book of Exodus as a man that was jealous for Moses, uh, he he sticks up for Moses in an instance where uh, Moses was being criticized by the people of Israel. And you see Joshua coming to his aid and going, hey, you know, don't criticize the Lord's anointed, basically. And, 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 and you know, he was just a faithful guy. He was there. He was an attendee. You know, basically, he was there all the time. And, and you know, he was a guy that uh, even after Moses would leave the tabernacle, Joshua would stay there. Joshua would, 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 would be taking care of just the administrative affairs that, that were going on inside of that tabernacle. And, and, um, 
And so he was just a guy who was a faithful guy. He was there in the camp. He was next to Moses. He was an assistant to Moses. And then we see at some point, God tells Moses, that's the next leader of the children of Israel. And so Moses goes and what does he do? He puts him before the the congregation and he lays hands on him and passes that mantle of authority to him. And and God tells him to, uh, you know, take some of the spirit and and put it on him, basically. Um, And and so, yeah, and, and Joshua, he says to lay your hand on him. And that laying hands on guys was significant. It was that passing of authority. And so we see a totally different uh, 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 model there. Uh, instead of you know, God speaking directly to the man and giving him a, a, the, the, the burning bush and the voice and the take your sandals off, it's, it's Joshua, come here. We're going to lay hands on you in front of this congregation. We're going to pray for you and, and appoint you in that way. So totally different way. Uh, I don't think Mo, uh, Joshua was you know, ambitiously seeking after this. It just kind of happened to him as he was going through his life. He was faithfully serving Moses, whatever Moses needed to be done. And and God ends up signaling to Moses, look, this is your next guy. This is the guy that's going to be taken over for you. And so he was appointed to lead uh, through the laying on of hands. And that's just a a totally different way than Moses was called. I want to skip over to Judges chapter 6 now, where we see God's calling on another man's life. In a, in a completely different way. Judges chapter 6, and um, I'm going to read verses 11 to 14, so follow with me. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? Verse 15, and he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And verse 16, and the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. And please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring my present and set it before you. And he said to him, I will stay till you return. And, and, and I want to pause right there. But that this is a, a, a different instance. We see here uh, a really precious moment here with the, the angel of the Lord. That's uh, usually an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, and in this case, we find that to be true because later on he uh, actually receives this sacrifice that Gideon brings him. Uh, and, and, and Gideon realizes, OK, wow, I'm in the presence of the Lord right now. Um, but, you know, what's interesting to me about this calling is that when God shows up, Gideon was knocking, you know, his knees are knocking. He's scared. He's he's scared of the Midianites. He's, he's down threshing grain, it says, in a low place. And, and, and instead of, you know, threshing grain up on a hill, which is where you would normally do it, he's down hiding out, you know, and he's kind of, uh, you know, weak and, and, and trembling. That's kind of the picture you get here. 
And uh, the reason was because of the times he was living in, they were living in oppression. And the Midianites would swoop in and they would kind of steal the grain harvest from the Israelites when they saw them harvesting it. So he's kind of hiding out and, and doing things, you know, in his, in, on the side. And God shows up and God sees the finished product in this man. And I love that about this whole encounter. God looks at Gideon and he calls him, you mighty man of valor, you know. And Gideon's kind of looking around like, who are you talking to? You know, because I'm not a mighty man of valor. But God sees the finished product in this man. And, and I love that because, uh, you know, so often, you know, no matter what people's perception of us might be, a lot of times we, we feel weak and afraid. But uh, it's really a special thing to realize that God looks at us and he sees uh, he doesn't see a, a weak and trembling uh, scaredy cat. He sees someone that, hey, this is a guy I can use. Um, notice, though, after God calls him, the first thing that, that God calls Gideon to do there in verse 25. He says uh, to him after Gideon has presented a sacrifice, it says that that night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering. And so the first thing that God calls uh, Gideon to do is to tear down the idol in his family. And and, and that was... uh, an important point in this calling that we need to point out. Not only does God come and he sees this man, he sees him cowering away, hiding, but he sees him as a mighty man of valor. And then he says to him, look, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to tackle that idol, that family idol. You need to go pull that down. And, and that's important for us to, to realize as well. We cannot serve more than one God. <laughs> God will cause us to destroy the first idol before he can use us in ministry. Uh, and if we do not, if we are not willing to lay down any idols that we have in our lives uh, on the altar and to destroy those things first, hey, God is not going to be able to use us in ministry. So often with that calling is going to also come a testing. Um, God is going to call us to do something. And, and, and based on our obedience and faithfulness to what God shows us to do is, is whether or not we're going to actually be used in the ministry, in that calling that God has given us. Um, so, men, we, we have to realize that, that, that when God calls a man, he doesn't share that place with any other idol. Um, he's going to require us to destroy idols. Uh, and then the last thing I want to point out about Gideon that I love is that, is that, you know, God often calls the weak and the feeble. Um, God calls the weak and the feeble purposely. And he does that because he gets credit and glory <laughs> when those men are used. And, you know, if, if he were to just call, you know, the, the guys that are, you know, that seem to be, you know, amazing and talented and, you know, perhaps uh, all the Greg Lorries, if everybody was a Greg Laurie or, or a Billy Graham, man, God, God really might not get as much credit and glory as he's due. Not saying that those guys steal God's glory. Those guys are amazing men. But we would look at those guys and go, man, they just seem like <laughs> those are God's quarterbacks. You know, they, those are the guys that, that they're the A-team. But, you know, I'm sure I'm thankful that God doesn't just use men like that. He also uses, uh, you know, guys that are weak like Gideon, guys that are feeble. And, and God gets even more credit, more glory, I think, through those guys and their ministries. Um, so it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Now, um, thirdly, I want to, or uh, actually, this is the fourth guy, I guess. I want to look at 
David's life in 1 Samuel. David over in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And uh, can I get a volunteer to read verses 6 through 13, please? Actually, will you just read uh, verse 1 and then read verse 6 through 13? All right, thank you. So in those verses, we see the calling there of David. And uh, the first thing I want to point out about his calling is that, uh, you know, his came through a prophet. Samuel was a prophet who received a direct message from the Lord that this was going to be the next king of Israel. And he was to go to this guy's house and dump oil on his head. <laughs> and, and so you can imagine for David, that must have been an interesting moment in his life. Here he is. He's tending the sheep. He gets called in from the pasture and this prophet walks up to him and just dumps a big casket of oil, cask of oil over his head and says, you know, you're going to be the, the next king of Israel, basically. So um, his his came through a prophecy. Uh, it really was appointed through this this prophet. Um, I also want to point out that David was just faithfully tending sheep when he was called. Uh, he was just being faithful in the small thing that he had been given to do. And the next thing you know, God uh, comes along and appoints him. And, and you know what's interesting is that David went on tending the sheep even after that for a long time. Uh, and, and, and then it wasn't until a little bit later on that Saul called him into his service and he left the tending of the sheep and became uh, a, a minstrel, uh, you know, one that was playing music in the presence of Saul. And so it's just kind of an interesting thing that, that God knew that David was there doing sheep tending and that that was going to be the next king. And he sends this prophet to go anoint him. So um, and, and then there in verse 13, you see that, that David was filled with the Holy Spirit from that moment. Um, now, in the Old Testament, obviously, this was a special occasion. The, the Holy Spirit did not fill people's lives uh, like he does now after Jesus Christ has come and sent the Holy Spirit to the church. So before this, this is an interesting and a unique moment where David is filled with the Spirit of God. But I think that that's key. Uh, it's a key point that needs to be pointed out is that as a minister or as God's anointed, God also filled him with the Holy Spirit. And that's something that um, we will see in the New Testament as just it, it's, it's part of God's calling. It's part of God's calling. God will not, uh, not you know, you, you need to be a man that's marked by uh, the, the Spirit's life in your life. Uh, the last one I just want to talk about, we don't need to really go there uh, unless you want to, but it's found in Jeremiah chapter 1. And that's just, I just want to point out that Jeremiah finds out that he was called from the womb. Um, you know, he, he was a little bit different. Jeremiah was, uh, you know, there in the presence of the Lord, it says that the word of the Lord came to him and told him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you and I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And uh, so there's there's an interesting uh, revelation that we, we find out that Jeremiah was ordained before he was even born. Uh, and, and, and I think 
this is basically true of, of anybody that's called to be a pastor teacher. If you're called to be a pastor teacher, God has ordained you. And he ordained you before you were even born. And the, the great thing about it is, is that, you know, we don't know how he's going to bring it about, but he's going to. <laughs> and he's going to do it his way, his time. And it's, it's you know, what we see is there's just no cookie cutter calling. Uh, but if you are called, God, God knows that you're called and he will bring it to pass, whether he does it kind of like Joshua, where you're just an assistant on the inside and, and you're promoted from within, whether you're, uh, you know, walking along one day, being faithful at a job that God's got you doing. And the next thing you know, he's ordained you and called you into the into the full time ministry. And so God does it all different ways. The important thing to realize, though, is that Jeremiah being called from the womb, he shows us that God ordains uh, before men are even born for these uh, kinds of things. Um, And then I also wanted to point out about Jeremiah is that God, again, uh, provides protection and the message for him. Uh, Jeremiah said, "Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to him, do not say I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So one of the great things about being called to the ministry is that God provides the message that he wants you to give. If we seek him for it, he will give us that message. And he not only provides the message, he provides the protection that Jeremiah desperately needed um, to be protected from the, the, you know, the enemy that was going to be coming against him. And in this case, the enemy came in the form of his own people that just utterly rejected, you know, God's message to them. So, um, you know, being a spokesman for the Lord, it's it's not going to be easy. And I'm not saying that we a spokesman in the sense that, you know, what we speak is revelation from God. That's that's kind of what some of the cults will tell you. Um, what we do believe, though, is that hey, God has provided uh, men to fulfill this calling as gifts to the church. And these gifted men are to be teachers. They're to be uh, examples. They're to be disciplers. They're to be people or, or men that are uh, being faithful to their calling. So uh, that's just a smidgen of men in the Bible that are called. There are many more we could look at, especially getting into the New Testament. Uh, But I wanted to just kind of pull some things together out of all these and come up with a list of some principles of our uh, of God's calling in a man's life. Um, I think the first thing that we can say, obviously, we've already talked about this, is you can't put God in a mold. Okay, Uh, you know, God, God is going to do it differently. So we might say, you know, God's calling is unique. And like I said, you know, we, we, we kind of already established that. Uh, but you cannot discount this fact that in, in everybody's life, God's calling is going to be different. It's going to be unique. And so you have to seek the Lord for your own calling. Uh, second principle that I, I think we can gather from what we read in the word today is that ordination for ministry Uh, comes primarily from God. Okay? And then we also saw that God's calling 
is confirmed through godly men. Uh, we saw that in, in Joshua's life with Moses uh, receiving a message from the Lord and laying hands on him. We saw it in, in David's life as Samuel was sent to him. Uh, and so we're going to see that over and over in the word. Uh, some other things. Uh, where God guides, he provides. Okay, where God guides... He provides. And this is a big one. It's all throughout Scripture. <laughs> uh, and, and it's all throughout these men's lives that we talked about today. If God guides you into the ministry, He will provide everything that is necessary for you to be equipped in that calling. Uh, he, he, he Himself will equip you. Um, and so we don't need to you know, depend on a seminary. I'm not saying that seminary is wrong or seminary is bad. That can be a very good thing. That can be the way that God uh, provides your equipping. But it doesn't have to be the only way. We need to kind of get out of this uh, cookie cutter mold of thinking, okay, this is how God has to do it. Um, where, he, where he guides, he provides. In uh, Jeremiah's life, he provided the message. He provided protection. Uh, we know that in Moses' life, he also provided assistance to come alongside of him. He provided Aaron to uh, be the guy that went into Pharaoh's presence and did all the diplomatic stuff. So God is going to provide for our needs. If he's called us, we just need to be faithful. He'll provide everything else that, that is needed there. Um, I, I would also say that, um, you know, well, we talked about this today in our message, uh, that, that God's calling is... To faithfulness. Um, and this is something that we need to realize is going to be uh, so important. Uh, you know, how many pastors could we name? And, you know, I'm, I'm one to talk. I've only been here at Calvary Chapel for three years. I plan to be here as long as long as God will let me be here. Um, but but how many of us have seen or know pastors that come in and they're there for maybe three years or maybe five years at the top tops and then they're gone? And and some of them leave the ministry. Some of them are just they just move on, uh, you know, to another station or whatever it might be. But uh, you know, I think what God is looking for is is just faithfulness. I mean. Uh, a man that's willing to sink down roots and to know his people and to be known by them and to be a long-term discipler, somebody that's willing to be consumed for the kingdom of God uh, completely, you know. Um, and, and so that's, a, that's an interesting thing. But, you know, Paul talked about that in our passage. We talked about it today. You know, we're called to be faithful servants and stewards. Um, that's, that's a calling that is, is meant to... To, to last a lifetime. And, th and that's another one we could put down on there is that God's calling is irrevocable, his gifts and his calling. Romans chapter 11, verse 29 tells us that. God's calling is irrevocable. That means it can't be taken back. <laughs> and so if we've been called, you know, we, we need to recognize, am I spelling that right? I think so. And that's Romans eleven twenty nine. 
Romans 11.29 simply says the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And I, I, I think that, um, you know, when God puts a calling on a man's life, um, you know, that man may, may run from that calling for a time. Or he may find himself in circumstances that are not ideal. But it, what we know from the scripture is that God doesn't have to have circumstances be ideal in order for that calling to happen and that, and that calling to work. Uh, look at Gideon. Gideon was in the middle of his country being overrun by the Midianites, you know. Uh, he was in a tough place. His, his family had a huge idol. <laughs> um, you know, there was all kinds of things that were not the right ideal circumstances for him to go into ministry. And yet here God shows up and God calls him in the midst of that um, to his his uh, calling. Uh, David was tending the sheep, you know, and, and that's not an ideal place to be uh, from a worldly standpoint of getting into, you know, ministry, becoming a king. Um, and, and yet God's, you know, God saw things in David that nobody else saw. And, and that's that's why he wanted him. 